Welcome to the Twilight Conversations. My name is Jimmy, and in this podcast, I'll be exploring human relationships, human potential, and that curious space between the dark and the light. So all is quiet on New Year's Day. A very happy and peaceful New Year to you all. It's Sunday. I always get mixed up with the days around Christmas, New Year. It's all a bit fucked up, isn't it? Um, It is Sunday, the 4th of January, 2023. So like everybody in the country, I'm still, I won't say suffering because it's not that bad. I have a chest infection, sinus infection, whatever, throat infection, just lingering, lingering, lingering. I'm on me. Second bout of antibiotics and steroids. There's a black market now because everybody I'm talking to seems to be on that. So just to wish you all well with that if you're all coughing and spluttering. And I think I'm out the worst end of it. So um, anyway, here we are in this strange kind of, I always find New Year's Day kind of, kind of a mixture of kind of relief. And I don't know what. I don't quite know what it is. Um, I hope you all had a beautiful Christmas because I know some people absolutely love it and they have a great time and they meet people and they do all the stuff and it works out great for them. And look, absolutely, I I support you 100% in that. And I was very lucky to have shelter and plenty of food and care, so I'm not complaining. But I'm always kind of secretly glad when it's over. I'm not sure whether it's the kind of the weight of the year, the kind of heavy clawing expectation that hangs in the air around Christmas, the loss, you know, a lot of pain and sadness, the hope, you know, maybe my families will make up or whatever, or, or someone will come back home, or but just this kind of air that, you know, there's a heavy air, I always feel it anyway, and I don't know if that's all of that mixed together. I'm sure everybody feels a bit of that. And I never quite enjoy that, you know. Uh, it never meets its promise. So it's not that I expect it to, but, you know, it's kind of always a bit, it's a very deeply sad or uh, painful experience. It's a bit abstract for me because it's not because of anything in particular. Uh, it's just in the air. And, of course, there's, there's wonderful things going on, great joy, and love that, brilliant, brilliant, um, and all the rest of it. But I'm always kind of glad, you know, oh, thank me the fuck that's over. We're out of the dark into the light, to the new year. And again, even literally, it's going to, you know, the, the days will get a little bit longer now. I know I'm being optimistic, but, you know, that, that deep darkness that's in Christmas that always seems to add into that feeling of that morose, kind of very depressing, kind of uh, pit of your tummy please let this be over feeling, you know, uh, kind of thing. That That's how I experience it anyway, um, in that sense. So really glad, hope you had a great time and hope you continue to. But look, let's where we're letting go of the old, bringing in the new, from the dark into the light, you know, great expectation. There's a, there's a, a line from a book, Great Expectations, which I actually watched over the Christmas, funnily enough. Um, I've seen millions of times. Um, great expectations where well, they all speak very funny I want to be a gentleman and flick coins at people who are poorer than me <laughs> always fascinated by the way they all spoke then you know I want to be a gentleman wear a weird top hat you know but a great moral tale as with all of Dickens and stuff anyway but hope for the future hope for better times for you know uh, 
happier times, more laughing, more peace, more healing, more recovery, all the good stuff. It just seems more possible, you know. Uh, it's like we've come through the dark night of the soul. Christmas to me, now again, I know it's the opposite for some people. It's the dark night of the soul. And literally, you know, and, 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 and again, I'm very grateful to have had comfort and a home to live in and, and food. But uh, I mean, at a spiritual level, it just, it's a bit achy, you know. And I'm really kind of, oh, thanks be to fuck, that's over, you know. And the premiership's back, the football's back on again, because we had that weird World Cup in between. Speaking of which, we lost the uh, the wonderful, the magnificent Pele. And I think even people that weren't football fans, I am a football fan, kind of, particularly if you're of the age I am, would remember him from the 70s, late 60s and the 70s, and his beaming smile and his, like, ridiculous football skills. He could he could just do everything, you know, wonderful number 10. He was my first inspiration as a number 10. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the great footballers were number 10s. Back in the day, anyway, they were, and always wanted to be a number 10. Um, they were near as good as them, but you know that, that. That kind of feeling. Anyway, we lost Pele. Yeah, I think he died of cancer in the end. And kind of a simple life, really. He didn't get too politically involved, but he did loads of charity. He just had a lovely energy about him. Uh, you can see by the tributes that came after him how, how loved he was by people, how he touched people's hearts. And he was all about love. He kept it that simple. He said, it's all about love, love, and more love. And, and you know, I totally agree with you, Pele, wherever you are knocking the ball around now, you know. Gentleman, uh, ridiculously talented athlete, uh, a lovely human being, and, you know, he's gone on to the next phase of his journey, to use that expression, and we wish him well. I think we'll all be together anyway, so I I don't have any worry about that. In in some, you probably think some people don't want to be together with, but I think it'll be different. We'll find ways to be with each other as we evolve. I'm assuming, I don't know, it's just an assumption that we are are evolving spiritually, you know, we're moving to a a better place. Uh, But look, we won't get caught up on that now. Speaking of what I'm doing, the kind of, the, the deaths, if you like, you know, there's quite a few people, a primal scream. I mentioned that band, I think, in my last podcast on, on healing and forgiveness and redemption. The uh, keyboard player, what was his name? Martin Duffy, a real Irish name. They were a Scottish band, actually. He passed away. Uh, there's loads of different people, the specials, Jerry Hall, the guy from the specials, that kind of 80s band, Ghost Town, remember them? Christine McVie, of course, as I mentioned, you know, and Anita Pointer from the Pointer Sisters, Slow Hand, remember that? She passed away, I think, today or yesterday, just heard. I mean, there's many, many more, you know, but Connie is still alive. Hallelujah. Connie is still alive. Remember, she wanted to get to Christmas? She got to Christmas. So I got a text from her yesterday uh, saying we might have a conversation if she's strong enough at some point, but look, there's no pressure there. So uh, that was a huge piece for, if you remember any of you that have heard that interview, if you haven't, I would suggest go back to it, not for me, but for to listen to Connie. Uh, she really just so wanted to get to the Christmas. It was a big thing for her. And she did, and got to spend it with her family and her grandchildren and everybody. So brilliant, brilliant. Delighted to hear that. Okay, so here we are in this, I think it's podcast number 27. 
Um, I hope the sound is okay because I think the sound on the last one, I don't know whether it was because I was so bunged up, it sounded not as good as usual, uh, but I hope the sound is okay this time around. Um, so what I'm going to really talk about, one, you know, just to kind of bring in the new year, which is and say, you know, because uh, I had been doing one every week, but, you know, with the cold Christmas thing, I gave it a skip and here I am, New Year's Day. I can hear you too in my mind. I'm not a major U2 fan, but what a brilliant band. I mean, what a contribution they have made uh, to life. My kind of subject matter, if you like, is rock and roll. And let me say a bit more about that. So when I say rock and roll, I don't just mean the music, but I include the music. I don't just mean 50s Bill Haley, you know, rock around the clock, but I include that. I include classical music. I include blues, jazz. But what I'm talking about is rock and roll being a kind of an attitude, like a culture, like something that's kind of cool, a way of being, a way of thinking. You know, like that kid when you were, you know, when you were younger, who always seemed to have the records first. You know him or her, they always had the best gear or, or, or new gear that no one else kind of had before. And you kind of, how did you know about that, you know? Now I know earrings became very, in, in men became very, very popular in the probably 90s, 2000s. But in the 70s, you didn't see it. And I remember there was a guy, Phil Linna, had one, a big hoop, a big, big Thin Lizzy fan, loved Thin Lizzy. Um, now Phil Linna was total rock and roll. You couldn't get more rock and roll than Phil Linna. This guy from Crumlin, this uh, mixed race guy who, who looked about eight feet tall. I remember seeing him in town one day, he just looked magnificent, you know, and he had platforms on as well. With this kind of speaking through his nose kind of voice. Uh, but with this big fucking earring. And I remember thinking, wow, how cool is that, you know? That, that's that's the kind of rock and roll attitude I'm talking about. It's not just style, but it is style. It's something else. It's kind of like a... And the person isn't trying to set a trend, but they do. It's when you're cool without trying to be cool, right? I remember The Simpsons did a great great series on what, what being cool means, you know? And rock and roll is being cool. You could be as straight-laced as ever, but totally cool, and you're still rock and roll, you know? So there's going to be quite a few musical references in, in this particular episode. I think the RTE Orchestra did a brilliant, uh, I have it taped, and I've seen some of it, kind of tribute to Phil in it. They did quite a lot of his songs. And, and, and again, it's in listening to it done orchestrally and different people singing. He was an absolute poet. My God, this, again, working-class Dublin guy, coming to terms of being mixed race in the 60s and 70s, which is probably still hard today. A working class lad, making it in the world of, of, of music, rock and roll. Tough world, getting on with it, doing all the usual stuff in life. And yet this gentle, mystical, spiritual heart in this fucking kick-ass rock band, you know? That chick that want to fight, forget her. <laughs> you know, all that type of stuff, which is... <laughs> I won't say the worst of Phil Linnett's uh, lyrics. This is a great song, The Boys Back in the Hill. But, like, if you know Phil Linnett and you listen to particularly, well, all Phil Linnett's stuff, his earlier stuff, total poet, romantic, you know, vagabonds of the Western world. And I, and I, could, I could do a whole podcast on, on, uh, Tin Lizzy, who always had fantastic, you know, Brian Downey, the drummer, great, great guitarist, Eric Bell, Gary Moore came through there, uh, Scott Gorham, uh, Brian Robertson, they always had those twin lead guitars. Phil, great bass player himself. Um, hope I'm not leaving anybody out. They've had loads of different guitars coming through, but brilliant, brilliant musicians. 
What a sound. So that's kind of the spirit of this podcast. Not necessarily Vindizzi and music, but the whole spirit of rock and roll, what it means and how healing that can be. You know, because you'll hear me talk about music and humor quite a lot in literature uh, as ways to heal. Uh, as a therapist, I'm talking about other ways to heal other than sitting with a therapist in a room. That can be useful too. You know, don't get me wrong, but I don't see it as the only way. And it certainly hasn't been the only way for me. I suppose a way of living, isn't it? I'm thinking of that uh, Buddhist saying. It could be a Zen Buddhist saying. I don't know. But I heard it recently. And I thought, yeah, that's 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 kind of part of this theme. And the saying is, there is no path to happiness. Happiness is the path. I love that. Right? You know, you've heard that before. It's the journey, not the destination. But it's true. You know, that somehow we're waiting. I'll do all this, this, and then I'll be... This is it. This is the meal. This is the experience. Think of all the good stuff you've done. It's been on the way. It's been on the way to the something. You know, all those gorgeous mistakes that happen. So happiness is the path. There's no path to happiness. It's the path. It's a way of living. I suppose cradle the uh, this podcast in that principle, if you like, that there's no path to happiness. Happiness is the path or peace or whatever you would like to call it. Rock and roll. It's such a, a kind of an evocative term and the whole energy of it, the culture, society, whatever all of that means, you know. And I suppose I'm thinking like, you know, I'm talking about being an attitude and mindset, uh, that kind of cool way of being. Um, and of course, I'm going to use uh, probably a few rock and roll songs to try and describe this leaning this movement this energy that you, you couldn't try to be it it just is it you know when it, when it's when it's happening you kind of go oh that's it that's it you're you're in it when you're in flow i suppose creative people call it being in flow now there is going to be some early 70s references due to my age so if you're you might have to research a little bit some of these songs or you might know them but there was a an australian artist back in 73 72 73 called kevin johnson and Kevin Johnson was a very successful singer-songwriter. And it's at this point I want to, uh, I'm reminded of what Glenn Hansard said on, on the interview, a wonderful interview I had with Glenn a while back. The difference between success and fame. Success is when you're creating your art and you're just producing your best work and you're loving it. And the world may never even fucking hear it, you know. Fame, not you know, fame is all the other stuff, all the trappings that go with that, and people all knowing you and getting into places and all that type of stuff, you know. But they're two very, very, very different things. So why I'm saying that is Kevin Johnson was not famous, other than for this particular song I'm going to talk about. But he was absolutely successful, the most you know, absolutely successful singer songwriter, and that underpins the kind of energy of this podcast uh, in terms of. I'm also challenging, what does making it mean? What, what, what do we mean, you know? He's after doing very well for himself. He got himself out of Ballymun. Did very well for himself. What, what do we mean? It's nice to wish well for people, but what does that mean, you know? What does it mean to, if you're trying to be a musician or you're trying to be to making it, you know, other than beyond, you know, paying the bills? You know, we all want to pay the bills, absolutely. We all want to eat, provide for our families, absolutely. Of course, of course, of course. But I'm touching into something else. Isn't there something about being authentic, being 
true to yourself, following your art, following your dream, following your magic. That's successful. And no one may know you. You know, I know we're, particularly now with the fucking, uh, you know, the whole online gig, you know, which I'm still not 100% sure about. It has its advantages. People are obsessed with selfies and da 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 da. And, you know, I, I used to think people were joking when they were doing that stuff. And I thought, they're actually serious, right? I re honest to God, I read, I thought, what? And people were posting stuff. And I thought, well, this has got to be a joke. I'm waiting for the punchline and it didn't come. They, they were just thought people wanted to know this. It's a strange world we live in. Obsessed with media, obsessed with fame, obsessed with recognition is quite a shallow. I, look, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be known. I, you've heard me talk about being human beings is fundamental that we're seen and known. But I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm exploring how, how that is, how and why, in what ways. I suppose the more toxic, narcissistic, call it whatever you will, the more need for uh, kind of shallow recognition, I suppose, and, and that, that type of fame uh, where people would do anything just to, just to be seen, just to have people see them. You know, we're obsessed with what, what people think about us. You know, I want them to think, you know, how do we know? How do we know? Why is that so important? Would I prefer people to think nice of me? Absolutely. Of course I would. I'm sure everyone would, but yeah, to a point. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not going to twist myself into pieces to get that, you know. And I know you've heard it before, but maybe it's more important that I think I'm nice. And if I don't mean that in an arrogant way, and if you happen to agree, great. And when I say I think I'm nice, I don't mean that in a, a you know a bullshit way. I'm nice, but I think okay, I'll do my best today. I'm okay. I'm not going to harm anyone to the best of my ability. We'll get on. We'll do the doings, and uh, you know, yeah. You know, uh, we talk about the mirror test. I don't know who we are. I just said that because what people say, you know, we. The mirror test. Can you pass the mirror test? It's a great, great test. Morning, usually evening, brushing your teeth. If you're a woman, taking your makeup off. If you're a man, taking your makeup off, whatever your, your gig is. At some point, you're going to make contact with your own eyes. Can you hold the gaze for a moment and kind of go, you're actually all right. You know, you're all right. I'm okay with you. We're doing our best. Or you had a bit of a shit day, but you're all right. I'm on your side. You know, kind of thing. That's the mirror test. They talk about the man or the woman in the mirror. That's kind of an important part of, of, of recovery movements. You know, if you can be okay with the person in the mirror at the end of the day, I, I digress. Back to Kevin Johnson. So Kevin, like I know him, <laughs> Kevin wrote a wonderful song which captures this whole podcast beautifully called Rock and Roll, I Gave You All the Best Years of My Life. You may know the song. If you're my age, you'll certainly know it. It was a big hit around 73, 74, I think, 72, 73, 74. And it had a few, uh, what's the term? Re-releases since then, and it's just such a great, great song. Um, and what makes it a great song is musically it's beautiful, he's got a lovely voice, but what he's singing about, he's just a guy trying to make it in the music business. That, that's really what the song is about. You know, and of course, if you don't know the song, I would encourage you to go off and, and, and Google it, really listen to it. Uh, it's just beautiful, you know. It just captures something really magical. And I suppose one of the iconic lines in the song is, I was always just one step behind you. 
when he's referring to rock and roll. You know, rock and roll gave you all the best years of my life, all the dreamy sunny Sundays. They did it. I was something, something, writing love songs to you. Uh, but I was always just one step behind you. Right. And there's, there's, a, there's a real poignant sadness in the song. You always feel that all the way through. It just feel that little bit of, you know, that this guy's trying his best. And I suppose maybe, maybe either he's getting caught into, understandably, or he's being pulled into fame rather than success. You know, because he's, he's just not making it. It's just, you know, da 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 And he's trying this, and he's going to these studios, and he's playing for these people, and he's da 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 But there's a point in the song anyway where it's kind of in the last verse where I think it's Suzanne he meets, and he was... He meets her and they, they, they sit down and have this serious conversation. He says, it's, it, it was then I realized I was never going to be a star. You want to burst out crying. And then this wonderful guitar break comes in. This beautiful, you know, I won't say it's screaming, but it's like expressing deep, deep loss and sadness. You know, it's like, it's a real build up all the way through. You wonder what's going to happen to him. And he, that line is, and I realized I was never going to be a star. It's like, oh my God, I always find it tragic whenever I hear it, right? And the guitar comes in and boom. Um, and like often with a, a, a guitar break or a piece of music, a music break, it, it goes deeper into a place where the words won't come. And it just captures all the nostalgia, all the loss. You can hear all the the sleepless nights that he's had, all the, the nearly, nearly there, could be there, pop, 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 pop. So, you know, and that's that's where the song is. Rock and roll gave you all the best years of my life. But I was always just one step behind you. You just get the feeling, you know, this, this rock and roll thing, whatever it is, you know, he's not quite catching it. It's just, it's just out of his reach all the time, kind of thing. And I was thinking of that for a, a, as a metaphor for living, feeling a bit out of step with life, you know. And, and again, I'm kind of challenging or exploring, what, what does making it mean anyway? You know, because I mean, Kevin Johnson did make it. I mean, here I am, like what, 50 years later, 60 years later, talking about this iconic song. You know, he could live off that song, absolutely. And he's he's got a whole body of work. And I think he's about 80 years of age and he's still touring. So, you know, in the real, real sense of the word, this man has made it. But in that song, you know, he's realizing he's he's not meeting the grade of what, what what's expected. You know, I was never going to be a star. And the guitar, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, I suppose I want to kind of reframe that. I suppose reframe, uh, it's, it's a real therapy word, isn't it? We reframe things, but it's a great thing to do is when we reframe something to give it a new meaning, not, not to take away a meaning, but to give another perspective or, well, maybe there's other ways to see this that, that maybe will produce uh, better feelings, clearer feelings and a more, you know, viable way forward. And I'm thinking... I wonder, I'm not going to dare tamper with his brilliant lyrics. I mean, what a hook of a lyric. I was always just one step behind you. But maybe to reframe that, he was one step with it. He was walking his own step, you know, in, in terms of, uh, he needed to write it that way for that time, absolutely. But, uh, you know, we must all march to the sound of our own drum or listen to our own tune. Maybe we're not out of step. Maybe, maybe, maybe the rest of the society's a bit out of step with us. And I don't mean that in a lonely, arrogant way, you know. The people, but maybe, why are we? What are we measuring that by? 
you know, like if loads of people buy a records, of course that's great. And I, and I, I would want that for anyone. But if they don't, and you, we all know fantastic musicians, writers, uh, therapists, whatever they are, people with great skills, they aren't really getting huge recognition, but they're outstanding. They're unbelievable, right? So I just really, you know, what I'm saying isn't new. I want you to make love, not war. I know you've heard it before. Who said that? <laughs> John Lennon, of course. What was that from? Mind games. Uh, but you know, most, most, most things aren't that original. Most of the things that are important aren't that original. We've heard it before, but we need to hear it slightly differently. So maybe to reframe this, whatever our talent is, whatever our, our love is, our art, whatever we're, when we're breathing and, and moving about the world and just trying to express and be, rather than, of course, it's nice to get a tap of approval, but stay in step with yourself. Do you know what I mean? Rather than looking to be in step with everybody else. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being in step with everybody, if that happens naturally. But maybe the world can come in step with us a little bit. You know, let's let's flip it around. It's a bit like... Um, this is a very, very common scenario with working with families where there's kind of dysfunction, addiction, uh, and, and someone changes in the family for the better and the rest kind of stay the same. The person's feeling the pain of isolation. You know, I have to step out and maybe mind myself from the rest of the family and so forth, so forth. And sometimes I put a nice, well, not a nice spin, it's difficult, a reframing spin. Maybe they need to be, they need to work towards you rather than the other way around. You know, we flip something around like, oh, look, I'm not part of them anymore. Well, they're not part of you. You're, they're not part of your gang. Because we have our own, you've got your own gig going on. You know, enjoy your gig. Rather than feeding your outside or something. So it's, if you see where I'm going, it's kind of the same thing. It's kind of like, uh, it's daring to be unique, daring to be yourself. And again, I don't mean in a pushing people away in an arrogant kind of way, but in a very uh, humble owning your own space way and if, if if you see what I'm doing or how I am is okay and you kind of smile and kind of go yeah that's cool lovely if you don't you don't you know will I take feedback and change something absolutely you have a few tweaks are needed of course of course but I'm talking about at an essential fundamental level can I be me dance my dance sing my song play my tune dribble the ball in the way that Pele did in the way that I do I might learn from watching Pelé or Messi or Maradona or the great number 10s. Watch them. But either way, no matter how much I watch someone doing something, I'm going to do it uniquely my way. I can't help that. So I love that saying, you can't help but be yourself. You can't help it. You know, no matter how much you try and contrive it, your natural essence is going to flow through. So why not embrace that? Now, if it's hurting someone else, we might need to curtail it. But I think if you're naturally in yourself, you're not going to hurt someone. Yeah, so it's about that lovely kind of unique spin on the way you do things. I was having a conversation with someone recently in the therapy room uh, and we were discussing that the pain of betrayal or the pain of God feeling threatened when your loved one or partner, you think maybe they're sleeping with someone else or you fear that they are or maybe you're feeling a bit inadequate. And we were just exploring the old idea of, well, look, no one likes that. It's a very uncomfortable, painful piece. But the reality is, no matter how many people someone sleeps with, it's never going to be you. They're never going to get what they get from you. Don't ever forget that. It doesn't matter whether they're having millions of orgasms, no orgasms, it's the best sex, the worst sex, 
it's never going to be you. And we have that. No one can take that away from us. I'm not sure if that's a great example, but for some reason it just it made me think about that. But you know what I'm getting at? That's one of the ultimate ones. It's like, it's very freeing to realize that. Yeah, he's bigger, she's better, la, 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 all that type of stuff. But no one is you. You know, and this is, I suppose, this is what rock and roll is about. This is what rock and roll is really about. Your unique, unrepeatable, magical, mystical, mysterious self. And I think that's just the coolest thing on the planet. Whether everybody knows about you or nobody, you're in the privacy of your own home being that, doesn't matter. And embracing that, you know. I get a great kick out of that idea, you know. I'm just going to read something here, right? I actually wrote it down. I don't always write stuff down. Hang on, I need glasses, won't I? I sure will. And I'll, I'll tell you who it was afterwards. I'm not that interested in sport, but I'm so glad Jurgen Klopp is in the world. And not only because my husband is a Liverpool fan. In the age of Trump and Johnson, he delights me as an example of what male leadership can look like. Passionate, humorous, generous, kind, driven by humility and integrity and above all, decency. My husband loads up clips from post-match interviews and highlights for me to watch. And without fail, Klopp makes me laugh out, laugh out loud or my heart swell. And that's by uh, Lucy Kirkwood, who's a playwright. It was quoted in The Observer and it's from the book Klopp, My Liverpool Romance by Anthony Quinn. Now, I'm a bit biased, I'm a Liverpool fan, hands up. But regardless of that, Jurgen Klopp is total rock and roll. Right. I mean, here's this kind of six foot something, slightly gangly, bit geeky looking, huge teeth, glasses, although he's not wearing the glasses anymore, blonde football manager who actually talks about rock and roll football as a style and, and happens to have loved Bowie and T-Rex and lots of good rock music in his deal when he's talked. He's quite different than your stereotype manager. You know, you know the usual manager usually have those kind of like sway coats with the four on them. They always, they always say stuff like, well, at the end of the day, you know what I mean? It's a game of two halves and uh, we just have to do what we have to do and try and win the match and, you know, opponents are good. I respect them a lot, blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. Klopp is different. So if you're not interested in football, watch Jurgen Klopp being interviewed, right? If you wanted to taste delight, humility, magic, wonder, you know, there's something else going on for this guy. Right, he, he'll just, and he's a brilliant football manager as well, you know, hugs all his players, you know, even our most bitter rivals, which for Liverpool would be Man United, a fantastic club, Manchester United, as Liverpool are, you have to say it, they are, they're an iconic club as Liverpool are, but even, you know, our most bitter rivals, I've made some Man United fans, they've already secretly said, we'd love to have Klopp as manager, not, not even for the best football, and he does produce great football because of his personality. So like that writer, she's not interested in sport. She recognises in Klopp this unique piece I'm talking about. And, and you know, as she said, in the age of fucking Trump and, and, and Johnson and these uninspiring leaders, somebody like Klopp, and there are others, just fill you with fucking delight and hope to know that they're in the world, you know? I actually love now, I, I've always listened to po pre and post match interviews because I'm, I'm, I'm a football fan. But when Liverpool are playing, I can't wait for Klopp's interview to see what he's going to say. And he's funny and he's poignant. And you can tell he, he, he has read, he has lived, he, 
he values things more than just guys kicking the ball around the pitch. He gets what life is really about, you know. So I just wanted to use the uh, clap as a, another example of the kind of rock and roll I'm talking about. Um, I will be obviously quoting many, many songs at different points. And you could probably think of a million other songs or, or pieces of literature or whatever or comedy that, that are rock and roll. There are so, so, so many. So obviously I'm not going to get them all in. There could be a part two to this. Oh, before I go on, you know the way somebody unofficially makes a new word? Well, there's a new word now that's come to my attention and it's called Pottercast, all right? And it's a combination of podcast and potter. So the enigmatic Joni was speaking to me, not Mitchell, although she's connected. I wasn't speaking to Joni Mitchell recently. Uh, I'll just leave that hanging as if I was before, kind of thing, you know. Was he? Was, he, um, was talking about, Jimmy, isn't it great when you potter? And I totally agree. Pottering is the best. You're just kind of hanging out and you're kind of doing nothing and you're moving from one room to another. And and usually I would do that whilst listening to music or listening to a podcast or, or so or something like that. You know, or maybe I'm not, you know, I'm just meandering around. And I think that's when we're most at ourselves as well, when we're pottering around. A couple of hours can pass by. Beautiful. So thank you, Joni, for that, for the Pottercast, as we now call it. Joni Mitchell, that's a little segue into Joni Mitchell. In terms of rock and roll, right? She's a rock and roll artist, folk singer originally, then a more blues, jazzy type of singer. She wrote a song called You Turn Me On On My Radio. And the reason she wrote the song was she was taking the piss out of country and western songs, right? Now, I like some country and western, but you know that real heavy stuff, I, you know, it's, it's hard to enjoy. And I think her... Uh, I'm not sure it was her, her manager or her agent. They were getting on to her because she was writing, you know, those albums like Blue and Court and Spark. Heavy, beautifully heavy, deep, sorrowful loss. You know, questions of existence, existential agony, uh, broken romances, love, healing, all that stuff in those albums. And they were saying, you know, you need to get a hit, you know, something that we can all bop to kind of thing which was totally against anything she was about. And I'm glad, so glad. She wrote this song as a joke called You Throw Me On, I'm a Radio. And this is the power of rock and roll. Turns out it's one of my favorite songs of ours. If I didn't know she was taking the piss, I'm finding all kinds of meaning and I love the chords and I love the harmonies and I love what she's saying. It's absolutely beautiful. So there you go. It's when you're not trying to do something and something else happens or you're trying to do one thing and something different happens. You know, and I don't know how many other people know that song or can hear the the more subtle, uh, romantic or spiritual or magical depths that I'm hearing in that song, even though she's totally taken the piss out of country and western. It's got quite a simple tune. I absolutely love it. I'd put it on, and then this is hard, it's hard to pick out 10 top Johnny Mitchell songs, but that would be one of mine for sure. So that's another example of rock and roll, what we call the gorgeous mistake, where something happens, someone's not trying to be cool or do something, but something kind of cool happens. I'm going to talk about Brendan Bean briefly. The, uh, wonderful Dublin Irish writer, this hugely talented writer. I don't know all of Brendan Bean's work, but I do know his famous Borstal Boy. And I read Borstal Boy in 1978, and I was in a kind of a Borstal of sorts, I suppose. Uh, kind of care home type 
Bostonny type of setup for a, a brief period of time. I was 14 or 15 at the time. You know, I have to say, my mum said thank God because I was just being a pain in the arse, you know, not helpful. My dad wasn't around and I wasn't helping things at all and getting into some petty stuff and uh, it was the best option at the time, you know. Uh, and she has done and continues to do an amazing job of being a, a wonderful parent and grandparent and great-grandparent now, uh, Betty. And she's not well either, so shout out to Betty Judge. But I was in, I won't say where it was, it doesn't really matter. And I was there. I was 14, maybe 15. Um, very confused and lonely time in my life, as it is for a lot of people. I think I'd mentioned rumours that was kind of out then, or it hadn't quite come out yet. Or Anyway, in the spirit of this rock and roll attitude, there was a guy there. There was lots of guys there. And I remember thinking, fuck, this is different now. I'm going into a place where there's guys from all over the place. It wasn't only my own little crew that I knew of lads I played football with and they could, I knew the measure of these are lads from all over Dublin north side, south side from Limerick from Cork from different from Trotida you know it's like fuck how do I how do I deal with this now it's going to be a new challenge and as I said I was never a fighter right how am I going to survive it just wasn't in me there's nothing wrong with fighting you know? lads are great boxers great fighters you know but it just wasn't in me I couldn't fucking do it well you know, push comes to shove, I'll give you a kick in the rocks and run, you know. But I could never, I just just wasn't able to do it that well. Uh, so I'm thinking, that I was quite anxious about going into this place because I knew a little bit before this was happening. And uh, there's about 40, 40 guys in this place, 30, 40 guys from all those different places. And thankfully, I, I was kind of always all right at kind of, Maybe I posed no threat. Maybe I didn't really ever get bullied or whatever as such. This was also inspired by, there's a, a, a very dark, very uh, difficult docudrama on Netflix called Big Boys Don't Cry. And it's about a guy in care, in, in, in a parcel type care in, in London and in England. And horrendous abuse was going on there and all of that. And it reminded me of, and thankfully that didn't happen to me in this place, but it was going on. Uh, but that, that's a whole other, other day, as it was in all those places in the 70s. But I'd been watching that over the Christmas period and it also kind of clicked in my mind and made me think about that. And as I was thinking of this podcast, to to bring it in, uh, not, not in a, I don't mean in any dark way, but just there's a, a lovely light piece to this as well. Incidentally, as with the, uh, the, the, the piece on Netflix, this was 1976, 70, 77, 78, all the guys I knew, I didn't, I, I knew them all, but I never followed up on them all. But the guy, I got to know most of those guys there and they're all very troubled, but lovely guys, very wounded guys, right? They're all dead. Or completely strung out, living on the street or in chaos or in prison. But loads of them died and all by suicide. And there's something really tragic about that. As someone said, isn't that an indictment on the, the system, you know? And it's not only in that place. We know this happens. But anyway, I'm there in my little room. And someone gave me Barstool by, I don't know who, one of the lads gave me Barstool. Read that, George. Read that, Jimmy. You're like that. So my first time reading Brendan Bean, and it was riveted to it. It was fantastic. And uh, you'd be in bed by eight o'clock, half eight. They made you, you had to go to bed. At, you know, and you could smoke then though. And there was a guy who also took his own life. And I'm not going to mention anyone's names out of respect to people and their families. But he was in the room next to me and he always 
shoved a, a cigarette, a gold bond cigarette, and a piece of match and a piece of the box under the bed at night. What a lovely kind thing to do. Because, you know, cigarettes will be scarce. and So I'd have me smoke and read Postal Boy. Me little room was just like your basic little room with a little locker and a, you know. Um, so I'm there reading it and loving it and identifying with some of it and, and realising, God, what a talented writer, you know, uh, Brendan Bean was. And I read it since and got much more out of it, obviously. I was only 14, 15 reading it then. But in all of that, in all these really troubled young men, and there were men from, from age between, there were younger kids, there were 12 and kind of 17, 18, that kind of age group. Uh, all difficult stuff, addiction, and, and some of them went on to crime and serious crime and all that stuff. But there was a guy there who was about three or four years older than me. Again, I'm not going to name him out of respect, but what a, what a guy. And he was the coolest guy I have ever met. He was such an influence on me. And he was amid all of these like heavy dudes, you know, because you can imagine the atmosphere in those type of places. You had to have your wits about you, right? Everybody respected this guy, but no one was afraid of him. Right? He didn't instill fear. He wasn't a bully. He was from, happened to be from town, from the inner city, north inner city, I think. And uh, he had this like scar, which just made him look even cooler. And I remember years ago, people said, don't worry about the scar. You have to worry about who gave it to the guy. But it just made him look really, really cool. And he, whatever way he dressed, had a bit of a bromance, I suppose. That's that's probably now. Uh, because if you had an older guy kind of looking out for you, it was nice, you know, it was a nice feeling. But he didn't do it in any intimidating way. He, he just liked me. And he liked a lot of people, you know. But he, whatever way he smoked the joint was just looked great. He just made a great joint. He he was the one that was into all the Fleetwood Mac stuff and Neil Young and 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 he he was way ahead of everybody. Like he was like a, a North Inner City hippie, if you like. So kind of hard North Inner City, but like was into a lot of hippie stuff, you know. And he wore patchouli. You get me? So that's the kind of guy we're talking about. He just seemed to be ahead of the posse. He uh, was into Tin Lizzy, he was into, you know, into stuff, into Steely Dan. He was talking about these bands I'd never heard of. Do you ever hear this, Jimmy? Check that out. One, he was like a mentor type of guy, you know, amid all this chaos. Um, and there were so many good things about him. Never saw him fight with anyone, but people were, were wary of him at the same time, you know what I mean? Never, never put out that attitude to anyone. Always was reasonable. Saw him break up a few fights, did it really well. Uh, was liked. Um, always sang often like in, in, in that type of setup they'd have you work and you'd be cleaning the kitchens or cleaning floors or doing stuff so he'd get a song going you know and uh, he'd, he'd be singing Neil Young I caught you knocking on my cellar door and he'd get everyone to sing the next bit you know one of those and it was a moment where you know these difficult lives all became kind of nice and fun and Guys just became guys singing for 20 minutes, half an hour, which was really nice. And then maybe it got a bit crazy later on. So he'd, he'd sing and he'd sing these songs. And there was another guy there. And this was the time when, when the Dublin-Kerry rivalry in football was huge. And he always used to sing, um, there was a, a Tin Lizzy song off the album Fighting called Suicide. And he'd sing, uh, the papers called it Suicide. Oh, the Kerry men, they died because it was the Kerry fella there. Go on, yeah, bollocks. It was a great banter, you know. So it was, I'm not saying it was all plain sailing, not pretending, but there were lovely moments like that, you know, where we sang and we laughed, that type of stuff. So he'd be in the middle of all that. 
anyway, what I'm getting to with this guy, this he was this guy was Mr. Rock and Roll. He had that attitude without even trying, and he didn't even know it. Now he I, I learned he died later on, sadly. Uh, but I won't, I won't get into that, you know. Huge respect for the man. But I remember one particular day, it got a bit bit tricky, there was stuff going on. And he spotted me and he said, Yeah, right. Now, no one was saying anything to me, but there was something going on and I was finding it hard. I said, Yeah, I, said, I don't fucking think I can survive this bleeding world. I'm not into all the fighting and everything. He says, Come here to me, Jimmy. And I remember he looked, he's piercing eyes, he looked at me, he said, You have your own vibe going on. He says, You hold your head high. He says, You have a lovely way about you, man. What an insightful thing for someone to say. He said, Don't you ever be ashamed of who you are. He says, people like you the way you are and that was unbelievably helpful it was like coming from him who you know a bit of the bromance sort of things, you know uh, but it was almost like the most no therapy could get to that he got to it he endorsed me he said be you be as you are you know and he gave me a smoke there you go have that you know kind of thing so that was one to pay tribute to that man uh, who's I hope he's he went on to become extremely talented but like lots of life and, and, and addiction and stuff got in his way and it wasn't to be his journey here so let's let's hope he's at peace wherever he is now uh, so yeah that was Barstool Boy so a bit, of, a bit of rock and roll there and this we'll call him Mr. X character who rock and roll came out of his pores even the way he walked no effort just one of those guys you know you know New song. Have you heard this? You know, these bands. Have you heard Tangerine Dream? And all the other people, where the fuck are you getting that from? <laughs> nah, seriously, you like this. Like, get you into a mellow vibe, you know? He was into all that, you know? He was into kind of peace. And he had that slight vibe of like, you know, listen, don't let the system, he was slightly political, but without being violent about it, don't let the system fucking grind you down, you know what I mean? They want us all in here, you know? He was one of those guys, way ahead of the posse. So I just want to pay him tribute to to call him Mr. Rock and Roll. So moving in more into uh, that's the use of the Brendan Bean's Barcelona Boy into, I would say, another song I'm going to talk a little bit about. And again, from the early 70s. And again, another kind of poignantly, slightly sad song captures this kind of striving to be something, to be successful, uh, and how that choose people up you know that the music industry does that Hollywood does that you know and spits them out people that are hugely talented and it's a brilliant singer-songwriter called Alba Hammond his son is in The Killers I think one of those bands Hang on, is it The Killers or oh, The White Stripes I don't know I don't know those modern bands but Alba Hammond if you don't know wrote millions of songs co-wrote millions of songs people all sang his songs you know The Air That I Breathe uh, free electric band to name but a few but the big hit you will know him for is It Never Rains in Southern California right and the song is basically about he's trying to make it he goes to California so many people do he's trying to make it you know it never rains in Southern California but girl don't they warn you it pours man it pours and the gist of the song anyway is at the end he's saying tell the folks back home we nearly made it please don't tell them how you found me don't tell them how you found me give me a break give me a break never rains in Southern California like he the whole thing fucking fails and he's in bits and he doesn't want to go back home because he's you know all that type of stuff and it's a beautiful beautiful song a bit like uh, 
rock and roll you gave me all the best years of my life somehow this this machine this this energy you know we need to kind of realign and kind of go hang on a minute let's 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 let it get in step with us you know we've got this wonderful rock and roll energy machine vibe going on and and you know but certain human beings get a hold of it and they kind of twist it around a little bit let's let's get it in step with where we are let's let's re- again reframe what we think being famous means being successful means being known means you know let's not let it reduce us to being you know living in a fucking uh, some shitty little bed sitting fucking Hollywood terrified to ring home because you've no money left and all your offers have been refused and no one wants you that awful place we all know that place may not be Hollywood could be Dublin you know where we're we're on our on our ass on our bollocks as they say and really ashamed and what what do I have to do What, what do I have to do to be me here how do I how do I carry how do I take my next breath how do we move here? I'm getting ground down by life, you know? And I just thought these iconic songs, and again, if you're not of the age I am, you may not know those songs, and there are many, many more. These iconic songs capture something in the zeitgeist of life, of, of currently, of where we are, what, what we're about, what's moving us, what's motivating us. You know, the guy I spoke about from the parcel, total rock and roll, he made it. He made, he had it made and he was in a barstool. He had it made and he, you know, whatever it was. He had it. I don't know whether he knew he had it and I'd love to tell him. He had it. You know, magic, love, himself. He had it at 17. He went on into a life of chaotic addiction, trying to find it, <laughs> not realising he already had it. You know, it's, it's a tragic tale, isn't it? It's a tragic, tragic tale. I'm kind of, uh, you know, thinking of different kinds of experiences or senses of, of, of rock and roll. And I've mentioned many times I'm a Bowie fan. And there are very few artists capture that whole, I mean, he's Mr. Cool, right? Bowie was Mr. Cool. And even in terms of like creating his many older egos like Ziggy Stardust. And one of the iconic songs from that album is Rock and Roll Suicide where he, he's actually created this persona, you know, where it's all about, it's it's about a rock star. So how brilliant is that? There's an arc within an arc. He creates an album about a rock star from another planet, you know, who is totally cool um, in that sense. And I did mention Jurgen Klopp, look, Bowie, didn't I? Yeah. There was something I saw recently. What was in there? Give me a moment. Yeah, there was, there's actually a lovely, I got a lovely present of it. There's a kid's book about Bowie. Um, but he's five years dead now, is it? 16, 17, seven years dead. Uh, I still can't accept that he's dead. I'm still kind of struggling with that bit of grief. Uh, but how, as a kid, I mean, things were troubled for him. I think his brother was quite uh, psychologically unwell. There, his mom was quite cold. Uh, there was life problems there, of course. But from very early on, he was into dance, movement, dressing up, experimenting, exploring, you know, uh, in that sense. Now, we know, obviously, Bowie became ridiculously famous. He sang fame, of course. Fame helps a man think, think things over, which he co-wrote with John Lennon. Uh, so that was a byproduct. And I'm sure for the best part, he was happy he had that because, you know, 
but he was successful from the word go. You know? Um, he had rock and roll. Bono, again, same. You too. I mean, ridiculously famous, but they were successful way back in the 80s because they were writing in a style that was totally theirs, that was compelling, interesting, you know. And I go back to, you know, in the Bowie era as well, T-Rex, Mark Bolden. I remember as a kid listening. I don't know when you're eight, seven, eight, nine, because a lot of the T-Rex stuff is early 70s, I'd have been that age, uh, eight, nine, ten. If you know what sexy is, but I felt it. Listening to something in that music, Get It On, and something in Hot Love. I, I had no idea what sexy meant, but I felt, now I know, looking back, there was something different in this music, you know, beyond the music, beyond the lyrics kind of thing. That makes any sense, you know. Um, and again, you can name a, a million and one tunes. Another one that was similar like that would have been The Kinks and Lola, which I think was about 1970, 1970, about nine, I think when that was out. Uh, and there was something about the whole Coca-Cola. It felt hot and kind of sexy, but I remember as a kid not being able to describe what that was, you know. Uh, and now I know, listening back, I didn't know again that it was about a, a, a transvestite in that sense, or a transsexual, uh, which it is partly about, you know, but it's just something. So again, I'm getting at the music, the lyrics, but there's a something else going on. There's another frequency uh, playing out between us all, and that we, we can tune into it when we're reading a particular book or a line. Music will always weave its way in and just stroke that part of our soul in that sense. Do me brothers listen to the music. I mean, I, I could just do a podcast naming songs, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Which I might do actually sometime. Um, but you know what, there's so many, what describes that wonderfully is uh, about 1976, artist called Al Stewart, song called The Year of the Cat. I remember just being expelled from school around the time it was out, so it sticks in my mind as well. It's a lovely song. I've I've listened to it many times since. But I remember picking up there was something mysterious about it. The lyrics were kind of kind of mystical or strange or unusual, right? And no idea what it meant, but loved the beat of it. And he got an unusual voice in a moment from a Bogart movie. Da, 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 these unusual lyrics. Anyway, there's a, a like an acoustic guitar break, which is really nice, kind of halfway through. So you often get breaks. But then it moves into an electric guitar break and it's almost like a crescendo and the floodgates open and you kind of go, ah, now I know what it means. That's the feeling. I didn't know what it meant, but it, you, you just feel, once you hear that guitar break coming through, everything makes sense. You know? Does that make any, does that make any sense? But do you know what I mean? That's what I mean by rock and roll. It's, it's, it's not the note. It's not the words. It's not, it's, there's something else communicating to us, expressing itself to us, that if we can embrace and allow it's very healing. So listen to the year of the Cal Alistair and wait for that particular guitar break and you kind of go, ah, Jimmy's right, I know what it means now. You know, I still don't know what the song means. It's very mysterious. It's wonderful lyrics, very esoteric uh, type of lyrics. You know, and there's so many songs like that, aren't there, you know? I feel, because I'm on a subject I know I love and I feel passionate about, 
I imagine other people do, and maybe some do, but not everybody does. Could be listening. He's getting a bit fucking about music, isn't he? Rock and roll. But uh, I think you know I'm talking about a way of living, a way of being, an attitude, um, which I think uh, to to swing back to psychotherapy, uh, healing, change, transformation, all those kind of things, which have been themes in the podcast. It's about rock and roll. That, that's that's what I'm going to tell you. It's about rock and roll. Whether that's a book, a walk, a, a conversation, a meal, a look in someone's eyes, the ball hitting the back of the net in a particular way, Pele doing his magic, a piece of music, blues, rock and roll, classical, Traditional, it doesn't matter. It's the way your soul is moved by something. You know, it's the way your soul is moved, the way you're called to something. The way when you hear you go, you, your head tilts or something inside you kind of goes, oh, what was that? What was that? What was that? I'm going to finish with Steely Dan. Uh, again, magical band, 70s, early 70s. All sessions musicians, brilliant, brilliant musicians. Most people will know them from uh, Ricky Don't Lose That Number or Reeling in the Ears. But they have, they have a whole body of work called Jazzy Chords, loads of albums. But they, just song, they have a song called Haitian Divorce. And why this is, I mentioned earring in the left ear earlier on with Phil Lina. I got my ear pierced in 1974, 75, which was kind of unusual then. And for some reason my man let me do it. She just let me do it, you know. The school were going mad, but I got permission. So I had a, a, a kind of a loop in me, and I had long hair at the time, so I thought it was really, really cool, you know. I was going for that kind of look. Um, so I was able to wear bigger loops because I had long hair. You can get away with that. And at the time, Haitian Divorce by Steely Dan was out. There were, there were two songs dominating the charts, Steely Dan's Haitian Divorce and... Uh, Steve Miller Band, Keep On Rocking Me Baby. Two beautiful songs, respectively. And at the time that they were uh, prominent, dominating the charts, I got my ear pierced. My older brother's girlfriend, who kind of fancied me a bit, I think. I think I missed out now, as it happens. <laughs> you know, we look back at something and kind of go, God, I think she really liked me. Um, I was saying, come on, I'll go into town when you get your pierced, look great. Da, da, da. Or, you know that we remember a certain thing? I remember this song playing anyway on the radio, Haitian Divorce, right, by Steely Dan. It's not one of their better known songs. There's a guitar, there's two guitar breaks in it. The second one's really good, but the first guitar break tells you everything you need to know about life. So there you go, Steely Dan. What a guitar break that is. And you know, like life, everything's in between the lines, really, isn't it? It's in the kind of grey, it's in the subtlety, you know. It's somewhere in the twilight, I suppose, if you will. Excuse the uh, reference to the twilight conversations. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. I certainly have enjoyed delivering uh, my kind of take on rock and roll, that attitude, what it means, what it doesn't mean. So I will finish with a line from the wonderful Ban the heartless bastards. And the line is, you gotta have rock and roll. Good talking to you. Hopefully talk to you again next week. See you. Bye-bye.
Thank you for joining me in the Twilight Conversations. If you'd like to get in contact with us regarding any aspect of the show, you can get in touch at thetwilightconversations at gmail.com. So the Twilight Conversations is an independent project. We're not getting any help from anybody. No major corporations or anything like that. So if you like the content, if you like what you're hearing, please continue to support us via our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the Twilight Conversations.